Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Before us, you heard Out of the Pan from Sally. Check that out Sunday, 1 till 2. Uh, sorry, check that out 12 till 1. Sorry, our show is 1 till 2 every Sunday. That's all things pansexual. And yeah, for anyone who's interested in our opening song, if anyone ever wants to look that up, it is Animal Liberation by Los Fastidios. So you can check that out. Uh, today, I am joined by Roger Yates, who is returning to the show. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Yes, hello, and uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, out of the pan sounds interesting, although the rest of that is into the fire, isn't it? So that's <laughs> out of the pan into the fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is a show that covers all things. Yeah, I, it's sort of like pansexual is the sort of title, but yeah, all things around gender identity and uh, sexuality and lots of different topics. So always worth checking that out with Sally. Um, yes, sounds good. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, so today we're going to cover a bunch of issues. So Roger has been an animal activist for a long time and is also currently active with the Vegan Information Project, as well as being a sociologist who's done research around animal activism as well. Um, and, yeah, I'm Nick Pendergrass hosting today. And, yeah, we're going to get into a bunch of issues around um, activism, uh, activism during the lockdown, uh, vegan activism, and possibly some tips from Roger on avoiding activist burnout as someone who's been active for a long time on animal issues. Uh, but I want to start things off. Last time we spoke to you about, uh, yeah, sort of online activism during the lockdown. This was going back a few months ago. And I was wondering, have things changed? Have, have you been able to get back onto the streets in terms of street stalls and, and vegan outreach out in the street? Or has it been online for the last few months as well? Yeah, for me, it's uh, been almost exclusively online. I, I, went, I went back on the street one time and there's another group called Vigo, uh, vegan education on the go that they went back for about a month but there's been a kind of second lockdown in ireland and uh, it seems that uh, all the countries are kind of leapfrogging each other to um are we allowed to say leapfrogging uh, leapfrogging <laughs> each other to um to, to clamp down now and obviously there's a big imperative between um tackling the virus and keeping the economy going you know cap capitalism doesn't like the virus very much so um so yeah we're we're kind of uh, not allowed out of out of our own counties at the moment. Mm. So um, so there's a real barrier to travel, and they're they're starting to clamp down on it. And you know there's quite a lot of um, the police have um, you know patrols, and they you know they stop you on the street to find out where you're going, that kind of stuff. So it's um, yeah, there's a real kind of clamp down. So we, we're not back on the street. So it's all online, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. And if we haven't already mentioned, Roger is in Ireland and, and I'm recording here in Melbourne where we're, we've got five kilometre bubbles in Melbourne, so we can't go outside the five kilometres. So it sounds like, um, oh, I was going to say, you're no, you're not in miles, you're in kilometres there as well, aren't you? So um, yeah, 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 that's Americans that do the miles. But yeah, it would be a fairly similar thing in terms of stuck in the little area and, and not too much happening in person. So yeah, how, how have things been going online? Have you sort of uh, gained any lessons about connecting with people online and i guess similar to what we discussed last time i guess the the benefit of things like a uh, like a street stall for example is you you speak to people who are just just walking along the street they're not necessarily already thinking about animals they're yeah you're getting a wide range of people and and yeah have you sort of thought about any ways to sort of reach out to that broader public online during this time that that actually is a really important issue for all social movements now i think in the sense that uh, social media means that we can all produce videos we can produce podcasts uh, like this one and we can produce content 
It's just that you, there tends to be a kind of bubble that is created. And so each, each movement has activists kind of talking to themselves. So the idea then is how do you get out of that? And of course, back in the day, as it were, before the internet, you would rely on ma the mass media anyway. And of course, you know, the literature says that um, social movements and the mass media have got a bit of a kind of tricky, difficult uh, relationship because they're in control of, of the content and they can edit and all that. So, so we can do all that now, but we, we seem to be, have difficulty getting onto the mass media uh, now. And so there used to be something called indie media, which you might be familiar, familiar with. There was an Australian version of it. And that, that's almost like a mass media, a little bit like Wikipedia, that, that the people made themselves. Um, and so, you know, a lot of radical groups would use that. But Wikipedia, um, indie media seems to have died now. So um, there doesn't seem to be much of a relationship between what goes on online, which is, you know, a great deal of content, and then what goes on in the mass media, which is very sparse coverage of animal issues. So there is that kind of problem, which even seems harder than it, it was before the internet in a, in a kind of odd way that we, we can't seem to get onto the mass media very well, at least, um, you know, not very frequently. So, yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's an issue. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a puzzle for all, yeah, as you say, all activist groups to work out. And there is that sort of echo chamber of sort of having yeah. our views reinforced or maybe having valuable information, but kind of within existing ideologies and reaching out to those people is a is definitely a big challenge. Uh, I also wanted to go back in, in time a little bit today and talk a bit about changing activism over the years as well. Um, I know you uh, became active in the late 70s, I believe. Um, and fair. I was just wondering if you, yeah, um, have any thoughts either like in terms of yourself, but also just the movement generally, like it seems there's been this shift from uh, more direct action activism in like back in the 70s and 80s to now with the more focus on education and um, yeah, sort of behavior changes. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could just reflect on, yeah, just that sort of changing thinking within the movement and some of the reasons behind that, that we've had this move from like direct action towards more education-focused activism. Yeah, it's an interesting question that, and um, I suppose in some ways there was always an, an attempt to, to, to blend that in the first place in the sense that even the Animal Liberation Front, which... Um, you know, people will remember as, as you know, you know, the kind of name in, in relation to direct action and it's still going. But I mean, it was it was there was a peak in the 1980s. But um, even then we had a press office and I was I was a northern press officer for a, a while. So we were trying to, if you like, blend the two. Um, the activists were doing their stuff, as it were. But also you had the press office to try to explain to people why they were doing it. And, um, you know, so. But in in terms of vegan education, being on the street, um, I mean, again, you see that 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 used to go on back then as well. It, it's just that um, I suppose the direct action was much more kind of media uh, friendly, so it got a lot of coverage, which is one of the reasons why I, I decided to be a press officer because I thought, well, I can, as it were, ride on the back of this and do some some education. But the street work uh, worked, uh, you know, happened at the time anyway. Um, it's just that, um, I don't know, I thought it was subsumed underneath the direct action at the time. But there is, there is moves now to, to get both back again, in, in a way, because people are still doing the street work. Then you've got um, you know, groups like Save, who are doing the, um, you, know, the you know, the kind of um, going to the slaughterhouses, you know, fil filming there. Then you've also got, um, you know, things like investigations. That's, that's still ongoing. And so there is quite a lot of, of, of stuff hap happening now. And here in Highland, there's um, a group called Wake, and they do investigations, but also education. So it's kind of, it's kind of still going on. I, I think really, uh, in terms of um, eras, it's kind of what the media focused on at the time. Now we've got like, you know, what is the main thing on on social media? There is um, there is somebody called Jake Conroy. He was one of the the Shack campaign in North America, and he was. Um, he was jailed for four years and he's now um, still kind of uh, banging the drum for pressure campaigns. So that that would be almost like single issue camp campaigning, but again, with a strong educational element. So there is still the same kind of things going on, and perhaps um, not as much, you know, the, so the balance just changes now and again, I suppose. 
Yeah, and I think like hearing from uh, Ronnie Lee, who I know you know well, um, who who was uh, a founder or the founder of the Animal Liberation Front, as you said, a sort of yeah, direct co-founder of the like the direct action movement, Animal Liberation Front, where it's not so much an organisation, but people can it's basically people breaking the law, but on behalf of animals, and anyone can kind of claim those kind of actions. But he was saying that like in the early days like veganism was more a tactic within the movement as in it was more like there was campaigning on other issues whether it was against fur or vivisection etc and then people would sort of become vegan when they joined the movement but it'd be more a sort of an internal thing it wasn't so much a a a campaign directed towards the public would that be fair to say that it's more been something's happened more in recent time that's more of a tactic rather than just something that was more within the movement yeah yeah that's that's all all true and um I mean, it's really interesting uh, when, when I when I talk to um, kind of, as it were, new people in the movement, they found it very difficult um, to imagine a movement that's not based on veganism, as as it were, the moral base on the own line. But that was true. We, we had a movement and we I mean, I, I did uh, hundreds of uh, media interviews and I don't think I talked about veganism hardly ever and um, unless you were, you were asked about it. And so it was a real single issue focus whereas now everything has got the overarching vegan um you know kind of um, you, you, you know the kind of you know, you know that, that that's the framework f- for everything now it didn't used to be so it's, it's a 21st century phenomenon so it's really quite interesting mm. um and also it seems to be reaping its rewards in the sense that um, we do seem to have seen some real big changes in the last decade and possibly the last five years in particular you know, actually, that um, that brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you, Nick, if I may, which is about your your research work when you were looking at. Um, well, one of the themes was that uh, the national groups at the time were a little bit wary of veganism. Well, that that's kind of changed now, and I think what what it is is that the grassroots has shown has shown them that veganism is not a scare a scare word now because they were very very about three and a half years ago they would they would use words like veggie and veg and they would be very reluctant to use the word vegan and then now you go into the supermarkets and you just see all these vegan signs everywhere and and i think i think they've been kind of dragged kicking and screaming into into veganism and so now they're very openly talk about veganism whereas they used to have vegetarian starter kits and all this kind of stuff so has that kind of change um have you done any work on that and have you seen that in in australia yeah, de- definitely. And yeah, I guess for listeners, people who are new to the show, I, yeah, I'm a sociologist and have written a thesis on the animal movement and yeah, on particularly the movement in Australia and the US. And yeah, they're definitely, I did trace those changes. And one, um, one concept, which I didn't use in my thesis, but I have used in a more recent paper is the radical flank effect, where basically the idea that the radical more grass movements, um, sort of as you said sort of drag the bigger groups along and sort of um advance the discussion on issues where what was once seen as a really radical position is is no longer seen as so radical because it's sort of the uh the grassroots a little more radical elements have normalized the concept and i think vegan is is, vegan is is an example of that so speaking to patty mark who uh is uh with animal liberation victoria here in australia she was saying in the 90s i believe that (laughs) like vegetarian was seen as quite a radical word and there was sort of discussion do we use vegetarian and obviously that has kind of changed over the years uh, and much the same thing with veganism as well in that it was once this really um like taboo kind of word whereas now it can be and is being embraced by the larger organizations i think because the grassroots have kind of normalized the term and i think like because of that i think that using the term doesn't you doesn't you don't take so much of a financial hit from using that term it doesn't sort of put you in this super radical camp by using the term but i still think there are big differences between the um between the grassroots and and the more larger organizations in that even though they increasingly use the word like groups like peter for example using the word vegan uh often uh, i think this was from gary francione from my interview my thesis saying that they 
promote veganism as a smorgasbord of other, of actions you can take for animals. So yes, you can go vegan, but you can also sign this petition. And you can also make a donation and that kind of thing. Uh, whereas I think from the grassroots, there's a more sort of no compromise kind of vegan message. So yeah, I think there definitely has been a movement from the larger groups in a vegan direction, at least in terms of their language. And that's a positive thing. But I still think big differences do remain between the grassroots and the larger organizations too. Mm, yeah, that's that seems reasonable. In fact, um, with the large groups, they're more likely to say, "Give us a donation before they say go vegan." So, you know, that it, that is to do with the priorities of actually existing for for them. The the grassroots, obviously, because they're volunteers, they don't have that pressure to to moderate their language and this kind of stuff. And so they just tell the truth, which is one of the great things about the grassroots. Yeah, I think there, and I, like from doing the thesis and and writing that as someone who very much like came out of my grassroots activism, uh, that is sort of perspective I came into it with, and it's still a perspective I have. Uh, but also, I think like both the the larger groups and the radical groups like both have their limitations as well. In that, as more grassroots activists, we're limited in our reach and also the extent that we get a media attention. So often, the media sort of reduces these. Um, these debates to two competing sides and so in animal issues it's like okay we've heard from industry now we've heard from the big animal welfare group and therefore we've had both sides and we've been objective and a third sort of animal rights voice is often left out of that discussion and so i think from that even though grassroots organizations have a greater capacity to be more radical in their messaging um we also have that that limitation of of being sort of left out of the debates because of sort of ideological and financial reasons as well so I think kind of both have their limitations in terms of reaching people. Mm, yeah, funny. Going back to the earlier talk about uh, the internet, I mean, at the moment I'm doing something called the Animal Rights Show with, with a group of really great activists, and um, we're we're very keen to bring the work of Tom Reagan back into the into the movement because um, Reagan, unfortunately, has been uh, forgotten, but also marginalised within within the movement, and so. There is a, an interesting thing that there's not much rights within the animal rights movement, and that's one thing that we're trying to address. So we we had a program just yesterday, um, asking the question whether animal rights was too complicated because most people in the animal rights movement um, actually uh, use cruelty language, you know. So they they talk about animal cruelty, even mercy for animals, this kind of stuff, and they talk about being animal lovers, which is. Um, Outside of the radical scope of animal rights, which talks about other animals being rights bearers and rights holders, uh, and that uh, by using them, you're um, violating their rights. So, you know, the actual animal rights message is much stronger than the animal welfare cruelty kind of message. And yet most people in the animal movement use, they kind of use welfare language and then they stick a go vegan label on the end of it, uh, which doesn't really make any sense except for them. So it's a really interesting movement issue that we're trying to address. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get into all of this more after a song. Um, so we're going to play the song Pigman. This is by the Subhumans. And I won't tell what the song is about because it's a live thing and you'll hear the singer talk about what this song is about. This one's in a situation in your own head, perhaps, where there's huge, large pig-type animals who come round eating human beings for their Sunday dinner, and they might just pop round your house and treat you like a defenceless animal one day. Pig man. It's 
Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We're speaking to uh, Roger Yates, who is an animal activist and a sociologist based in uh, in Ireland. And we've been talking a bit about veganism uh, and changing activism within the animal movement. And one thing I was curious to get your uh, perspective on is this shifting activism that we've spoken about. Um, and as you say, there has always been you know, lots of different factions and types of activism within the movement. I don't want to say it was all direct action then, but um, as you say, that was the activism got the most media attention, but there was other stuff going on. Um, but in terms of this overall shift from more like direct action to education, um, in terms of advocating behaviour changes, whether they're sort of more moderate behaviour changes, such as, you know, choosing free-range eggs or whether it's vegetarianism or whether it's more at the radical end of veganism, they're all sort of consumer-based changes, right, in terms of, like, education and encourage people to, changes, encourage people to make changes. So I was curious about your, your thoughts on whether this shift... I know one of the theories from the academic literature is that this is due to government repression and the fact that we've had government repressions of movements and that has sort of put a dampener on more direct action. And so education is kind of safer in a way in terms of uh, not having this government repression. Uh, so do you think it is like, do you think it's these external factors within the movement of um, government repression of direct action? Or do you think it's more of an ideological discussion and activists kind of changing towards uh, education for more of their own reasons rather than external? Yeah, I'd say it's um, it's a, a blend of, of all those things mm. in the sense that there, there has been a clampdown, especially in places like the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, I think the activists have, have switched the focus from from the supply side to the demand side, because um, clearly, you know, you can shut down, you know, one element of the supply side and it will just move somewhere else, especially in the globalized uh, context that, w- that we're in uh, now, even more than before. And so, uh, I mean, at the moment, we're seeing that with the uh, fur farms being closed down. Uh, what, what's going on is if the demand is remain the same, they just get moved around. And so they're being congregated in places like Russia and China uh, right now. It used to be that uh, mainland Europe uh, was the place. And yet um, what, what tends to happen then is that the, the campaign in, in mainland Europe would start. And then they again, they move. So if you don't do anything about the demand, the supply just moves around the globe because it's it's able to do that. And so I think um, animal activists have kind of realized that. And I think there's also another thing in the sense that if if your um, campaign is, is asking people to live vegan, you're kind of doing all the single issues all at once in a way. So you kind of get a bit more bang for your buck, if you like, in the sense that if someone goes vegan, then it means that you know they stop going to circuses and they 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 don't support the rodeo and they wouldn't be going to you know zoos and also they wouldn't be eating other animals and and not using products that are tested and so all those single issue things are almost like covered by one campaign and I think people realise that the best thing that animal activists can do is encourage people to be vegan and to spread that message and so I think I think that's the answer to it. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because I think often when um, vegan activists are pointing out, like encouraging people to promote veganism rather than single issue campaigns, the often the sort of the the the, um, the pushback against that might be like, well, don't you care about this issue? Don't you care about this issue? And I guess the response from vegan activism, yes, we do. We care about all these things. So it's rolling all those campaigns into the one, uh, which is veganism. Um, and I guess one thing that one sort of ongoing discussion we've had on the show recently is this idea idea of um, like a broader structural change as well uh, in the animal movement and how perhaps with some of those shifts we've become uh, too purely focused on individual change and have sort of neglected the the broader structural issues um, as a movement obviously individuals and structures are somewhat linked etc and I, I definitely think individuals going vegan is definitely a positive thing um, but yeah I've also been sort of inspired in, in recent years of uh, moves I know like uh, animal rebellion in the UK, for example, who played a talk from Dylan Fernando from Animal Rebellion last show, actually, on this idea of pushing for a plant-based food system, kind of using similar messaging to environmental movements of this uh, structural level. And so, yeah, how do you feel about that as someone who promotes like vegan outreach of, of this critique that we're focusing purely or too much on the supplier sort of uh, side of it from individuals and sort of maybe overlooking uh, governments, corporations and those bigger, the, the bigger picture, I guess. Well, I've always had the view, I agree with uh, Gary Francione about this, that um, we can't really have political change um, of any kind of meaningful type until we have a change in the culture. And so I think our target has got to be on the culture. And that does seem to be we're into the area of DIY politics community-based um, um, advocacy. And that does really mean, you know, one person talking to another in, in some sense. I'm not, obviously not opposed to structural change. It's just that I think that the focus has changed now. And I think also within the movement, there's been, um, you know, psychology, even things like sales psychology or pop psychology is quite um, prevalent in the animal movement, whereas sociology um, tends to be sidelined. And I know that, um, you know, the recent conferences uh, are trying to address that, um, you know, with vegan sociologists. But um, I think that, you know, almost it's almost like animal advocates naturally look at, at individual issues and they don't put them in a structural context. And that obviously would be a, ben a benefit if they would do that uh, to the extent that it would change the focus of what they do. I'm not quite sure. I, I would still say that it's probably still too early to go to politics if, the, if that's one of the, you know, the structural arms that we, we, we're looking at. Um, although I think a campaign that is based on looking at um, subsidies would be quite useful in the sense that, um, you know, animal use is um, heavily subsidized. If you could change that, that would that would be a structural change that would, would bring about some great benefit. Yeah, definitely. And um, I spoke to at a recent or or somewhat recent, like just just pre sort of lockdown, um, an environmental rally where there was a bunch of vegan activists there highlighting the environmental impact of animal agriculture. And they were promoting like plant based food system, these broader structural issues. But similar to your point, they were saying that, well, I mean, at the moment, we've got a sort of a coal loving prime minister who brought coal into parliament, etc. So I guess it's, it's worth pursuing that structural change but also yeah i think we, we also can't wait for the institutions as well and i think we we do need individual yeah as you say change at the individual level and and that sort of cultural change if we're going to have a change from these structures as well for sure well obviously you know as sociologists we know that the structure and the individuals are linked mm. you know i mean the structure is populated by individuals and yet the structure also has a big effect on individuals so it, it it's uh it's an interesting balance from a campaigning point of view about where to target your your effort, and um, it does seem to me that uh, you know the the non-structural vegan education is seem to be having some kind of effect. Whether whether we have, as it were, time to do it is another thing. So you've got the environmental thing about do we have the time? Does the actual planet have the time? But also, of course, the other animals who are being used and killed right now it doesn't really benefit them. You know, we're almost like, uh, we're almost like campaigning for those who are not yet born, you know, which is one kind of oddity of animal rights in a way. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely lots, lots of complexities. And um, yeah, I, th- I think, like you said, I guess the idea of, I think a lot of these discussions are often talk about them like they are a dichotomy, like do we target the structures or do we target the individual? And as you say, like there's very much like a, a reciprocal relationship between those uh, to some extent. Like we do have some individual control over these uh, structures as well. Yeah, um, well you know, Nick, okay. um, I, th- I think I think that the COVID is, is, is an interesting lesson for people who talk about structural change in the sense that we've got a lot of pushback from the population about what the politicians are trying to do in, in order to beat the virus. And so that would probably be the same as if, you know, we ended up with all these bans, you know, ban this and ban that. You know, there's, there's, um, there's a fundamental problem in things like banning hunting. If you don't change the hunters and they still want to hunt, you've just got a bunch then of, of frustrated people who have been prevented to do what they still want to do. You haven't shifted it in terms of culture and ideology and values. And if you don't do that, then it seems to me that you're always going to get a pushback. And, and the history of the banning of, the, of hunting is that the hunters have just found every loophole possible in order to carry on hunting because they, we, ne- we, never won, we never won the argument with them. We never persuaded them that, that hunting was a rights violation, anything right? We, we just had it banned, but they still wanted to do it. So there is a limit, a limitation even to structural change in that sense. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do think there are parallels with COVID as well. I know when it, it sort of first came to Australia and, and numbers were possibly getting quite high, but it was hard to tell because they weren't actually testing at that point unless you come from overseas. Um, but I, I was definitely at that point from what I'd read thinking we should actually be shutting down to get it under control uh, and the government was dragging their heels on it. So I guess I was kind of doing parallels to big, like I was staying home and I was encouraging others to do the same as many others were online at that point. Um, and so it's a little bit like veganism as well. It's like you do what you can and encourage to others that, that do the same thing. And at the same time, I definitely would support efforts for you know, governments who, who eventually did that, but they dragged their heels and getting there in Australia uh, in terms of you know, locking down and trying to stop the spread of it, um, but not waiting for those institutions. So definitely not ignoring them, but also, yeah, sort of doing that individual change while we're waiting for these sort of slow institutions to catch up as well. So, yeah, I think a lot of parallels for vegan activism. Oh, there, yeah. there is that, yeah. And also you can see that same point the other way around in the sense that um, uh, in the 1980s, I used to call some people militant meat eaters, you know, the ones who always kind of said, there's no way that I'll never do this and that and the other, you know, mm-hmm. quite quite often they're now declaring themselves to be vegan, but it's quite interesting in itself. But um, there, there are going to be some people like with, um, you know, smoking bans or seatbelts who just won't abide by the rules. So it's, it's, a, it's a balance. You can persuade people through rational argument. And that's the best way of doing it. But there's always going to be some where you're going to have to use the elements of the state in, or, in order to clamp down on them because they're, they're just going to be awkward for whatever reason in, in the sense that we've now, we've now got people who deliberately won't wear masks and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. in terms of the COVID thing. And of course, you, you know, there's lots of people who actually don't believe it's a real thing as well. So, so education w- would have to be part of it. So as you said before, all these issues, they're, they're quite complex you know, there's, there's no kind of easy fix, I suppose. Yeah, and I think another point to keep in mind is that, yeah, me and Corey Wren, who I know you know as well, like did that episode encouraging animal activists to look beyond uh, individual change as a movement. But within that, there's definitely nothing wrong with individuals in the movement doing individual outreach. It's more a matter of like as a movement, it's something we, we can look into and, and bring other dimensions to complement that. Not Certainly not saying individuals shouldn't be doing vegan outreach or, or going vegan, etc. And I think speaking of that, as well um yeah during the the lockdown uh some people obviously got listeners in different places around the world but definitely those of us in melbourne uh some people have more time at the moment so i was wondering if you had any advice because i just thought that could in a way lower the bar to veganism because people i i cook all my meals and i don't want to look up new recipes but here people are often like looking for new recipes to cook and that kind of thing so it might be a good time for any listeners who are sort of on the fence or thinking about going vegan or whatever so do you have any advice for or anyone making that transition during this current lockdown? 
Yeah, the best thing to do is talk to your local vegans. Um, you know, like if, if I think about Dublin, you know, people can go onto Facebook and just put in a, a few keywords, you know, Dublin vegan, vegan Dublin, uh, you know, Dublin animal rights, or, you know, uh, island vegan, that kind of stuff. And they'll get lots and lots of, um, of forums coming up. And then people just ask a question and usually they get 60, 70 answers. You know, where do you get this from? Is this available? You know, and so it's it's the people in your local area who can give you the best advice in the sense that they are talking the same language in the sense that they'll be they'll know the same supermarkets. They'll, they'll know the brand names and this kind of stuff. So it's almost like um, a form of mentoring. And in some ways, they, there used to be some vegan mentoring where it was like a one on one. And in some ways, the Internet is better than that because you get several people giving advice to one inquiry. And so that, that works really well. So I, I, I just do that. You know, there are some structured things like um, Challenge 22, but I don't I'm not really familiar with them. I'm more familiar with just the local people asking the local activists and then they get told, you know, where to go, what to do and what's on, uh, yeah. essentially. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we I did have that experience of actually uh, back in Perth when I was doing a lot of vegan outreach. Of we put together these vegan starter packs, which had information, as you say, like general information, but also specific information to Perth. And we were kind of emailing them one to, like to people individually, and then eventually it was just no, just put it up online, and then everyone can access that. So it does kind of take away. We still offered that one-on-one support, but often we didn't get too much, too many people contacting us. But it was more just that resource was out there online, and people access it that way so it can sort of take away some of that sort of labor i guess of that one-on-one by having the information out there online i think there's one thing i was thinking about in terms of going vegan is, is a common thing often seems to be around uh the milk like milk in my tea and milk on my cereal etc and i think one thing i'd say is that there's there's so many different types of plant-based milks out there now so just just because you don't like one don't assume that there's no plant-based milk for you and even you can try different brands i know some people don't like the soy taste but there's brands that are sort of stronger or, or lighter in the amount of soy etc so yeah there's so many different plants Plant, mate, plant milk so yeah if you don't like mm. one just try another one rather than sort of giving yeah, up on your vegan thing it's something we used to say right back in the 1980s when they first started to appear in the sense that some of them were very kind of chalky and people didn't like them and um but we used to say well if you don't like one brand just try another because you'll you'll eventually find one that you do like and of course now there's so many that it's almost like impossible to imagine that any you'd find anybody who didn't like anything at all I mean, I personally, I still like the watery soya milk, and some some of the um, the new the newer ones, uh, they're actually too creamy. They, they you know they're almost like too too like cow milk for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that but that's because I've been at it for a long time. But if if you want to, as it were, get something that resembles what you're replacing, then some of the more m- modern thing. But that, I mean, that's an interesting thing now in the movement. People almost like assume there's a vegan version for everything, which is generally true. But, you know, you often have to get, you know, odd kind of inquiries now. You know, is there a vegan caviar? You know, and all, all, all these kind of things. Because, <laughs> I because bet there there's, is. <laughs> there's almost an, well, I think there probably is. But, I mean, you can get things like uh, vegan haggis. I mean, all yeah. weird stuff, you know. But um, there is this expectation. And I, I see modern-day vegans kind of complaining, oh, my supermarket is not very good. It's only got four types of soy milk and you think wow you know that that would be fantastic in the, in the 1980s so it does go to show how things are shifting and moving yeah. along yeah and it was interesting uh we'll go to a track in a moment just one thing i'll chuck in though on a recent episode i did with uh, uh my co-host madison and um she's been vegan for quite a while but yeah less you're not going back as far as me and obviously i'm you know no way got going back as far as roger as well but saying well think things are easy now but when i first went vegan five years ago things were quite difficult and i was kind of like oh when, <laughs> when i went vegan, like oh things are okay now but when i went vegan 15 years ago and then you're like well when i went like yeah, it always kind of like it seems better now but like things were bad at this this time before but yeah definitely things have definitely improved a lot from the 1980s i'm sure you can you can vouch for <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, you know, there is there is actually a, a very important movement issue, which is related to that, in the sense that um, most people get their information. I mean, like there, there's a vegan activist who's been vegan now for six years and people are kind of going, wow, you know, it's amazing. Six years, you know, kind of, you know, how, how have you managed to be vegan for six years? And there's, all, there's almost like a generational gap in the sense that a lot of the people 
that we would use as resources, um, you know, especially in terms of um, academic resources like um, Reagan, uh, for example, Tom Reagan, who, who wrote the case for animal rights. Pe people don't know them. They just know the kind of YouTube people from five years ago. And they're the kind of veterans now. And so there's a real generational difference. And, and again, it's quite uh, revealing when you're able to open up, open up some of the history of the movement to, to, to as it were, the newbies, because they have no idea that the movement has been going, you know, in terms of the vegan social movement since the 1940s, for example. They, they, they think it started 10 years ago or something, you know. So it, that's a really interesting thing that you can kind of get, get stuck in your time, you know. Yeah, and actually one of your um, YouTube videos I was watching recently was sort of about the sort of commercialization of the movement, but also the celebrity nature of the movement. And obviously sort of social media is all about that. We all become celebrities and we're all brands and we're promoting ourselves and the vegan movement definitely isn't immune from that. Um, I, I want to finish though with activist burnout, but I'll definitely promote your channel at the end and people can check out more more on that. So uh, yeah, I really want to get to activist burnout because I think you, you'll have a lot to say on this topic i think it's quite an important one um so we're going to go into a song which is is not about activist burnout but it's i think a lot of the lyrics kind of relate so the song is drunk mouth kitchen smile it's by the lawrence arms and some of the lyrics are i'll be burning out like a shooting star and certainly from activism i was involved in uh, back in perth one of the people there was saying he'd seen a lot of shooting stars of people are active for a re like really active for a short amount of time but then they'd fade away so i thought that was relevant and also so another lyric is, I should be on trial for everything I haven't done as well. And I think a lot of activists feel that way of, of sort of anything that isn't activism can be letting down the animals, etc., or whatever social movement, whatever group. So, yeah, we'll play this song and then we'll be discussing um, activist burnout after this. Considering confrontations This is a shy and quiet morning Woke last night The thunder scares them Stiffied has been in my life for decades. Each week I listen to my favourite programs. However, it's in a time of crisis that I really appreciate how important 3CR is. Often, this is when thousands of people are on the streets pushing for change. In this time of COVID, no one is on the streets. 3CR is more important than ever, keeping all our communities connected and informed. 3CR is a remedy for social isolation in this time of physical distancing. Good on you, 3CR. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
Welcome back to Freedom of Species, and we are joined by animal activist and sociologist Roger Yates over in Ireland. And yeah, we've been discussing different changing activism in the movement over the years and veganism and and lots more. We're going to finish the show with uh, discussing activist burnout. And Roger has been an animal activist since the late 70s. So yeah, what keeps you going and how have you been able to keep going for all these decades in terms of being active? for animals well you know some people come up with kind of glib answers to that question because it is an issue um for all social movements you know pe- people um in fact tom reagan talk- talked about the revolving door you know there's a, a lot of people joining but there's a lot of people leaving and that's um that's a problem you know all social movements have got to work on retention as well as recruitment and so that that is that is definitely a a, a problem um some people say ah oh, well you know i don't feel as though i've got the right to burn out and I think I, I had that attitude at one point, but I think it's a bit glib really now. Um, I, think, I think one thing that, um, that activists can do to avoid burnout is not engage with the, the graphic footage all the time. Uh, some, some activists seem to think it's almost like a duty that they do. And it's a little bit like a version of there is that kind of meme in the movement, you know, if, if it's not good enough for your eyes, then it shouldn't be good enough for your stomach. But it seems as though the activists have got a version of that, which is kind of I'm, I'm letting the other animals down if I don't, you know, watch Earthlings once a week or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is that can be very destructive because it can give you a, a bit of a jaundiced view about humanity as a whole in the first place. But also it can just depress you because you're seeing the worst of humanity as, as it were all the time. And if, if that's if that's something that you're engaged with, um, it can be a problem. And, and ironically, um, I suppose I have footage like that, but, you know, often as an editor and when you're actually got a job to do with it, it's not as bad as as you're just consuming it in some weird way. So I would certainly say to activists, you know, don't feel the need to watch this graphic footage all the time. And certainly there's no point in repeating, repeatedly doing it. For example, I've, I've never seen... Um, I've never seen Earthlings all the way through. I've never seen Dominion. I've never even clicked on Dominion once. So, you know, I don't know anything about that. But then again, it's not for me. You know, that's another mistake, you know, activists make, thinking that this material is for them. Well, it's not. They're vegan. There's there's no need for them to watch it. Mm. I mean, obviously, if they want to learn facts and figures, which can be useful, obviously, that's one thing. But to actually kind of repeatedly put themselves through it, is unnecessary in in my view, and it's one of the main things that gets to some of the younger activists. This 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 apparent kind of need and almost like a pressure to watch that that kind of stuff. It's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I did know someone back in Perth actually who watched Earthlings like once a week or once a month or something like that to kind of like to keep themselves going or whatever. Yeah. I think it was like to sort of motivate them to be active, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely get your point that it could, could well have the opposite impact. Uh, And I was also curious, like in, in your involvement in the movement over the decades, have there been sort of years that you've taken off or is it more a matter of like, you know, taking weekends and weeks and months off kind of within that. And, and that has sort of got you through like, have there been times where you've just taken, you know, like years off the activism or is it more about taking, you know, weekends off and weeks off and those kind of things? Well, I I took four years off at one time. Um, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> but there was a particular reason for that, but uh, we won't go into that possibly. The um, no, I think it's just a question of of, of having a kind of a, a balance. But also, um, I think it's quite nice for. I mean, like vegans tend to kind of you know um, stay with, with with vegans, other vegans. You know, they 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 tend to have relationships with other vegans and stuff. And I, so I think it's very very good then that you can. You know, you can have a, a holiday, for example, but with other vegans is, is, a, is a very good way of, of doing it in the sense that you're still kind of involved. And you're still talking about movement issues, which you know, vegans are interested in. At the same time, you are having a bit of a break, because if you suddenly become the only vegan in the village type issue, then that could be quite stressful. You, you don't have anybody else to, as it were, process what, what you're seeing because you're bound to. You know, see the slaughterhouse trucks go by and nobody else notices. And, you know, you, you might you might you might kind of glimpse the, the TV and there's a there's an advert for roast beef or something. And so another vegan would go, oh, here we go. You know, cultural speciesism and that kind of stuff. And, and it, it, it helps in that sense. So 
yeah, we, you can have breaks. I suppose I've I've had breaks over the time. I generally, I'm very interested in movement issues, so I tend to kind of just keep at it really. And that's, yeah, you know, I don't I don't have any um, major kind of solution to avoiding burnout, in the sense that I've never burnt out, but I've never felt I had to back off either. So, uh, I, I, you know, obviously we talk about different personalities and I, I've been lucky, I suppose, in the sense that I've been able to stay at it for, you know, 30, 40 years now. And, um, you know, I've never felt uh, a feeling of burnout. So, you know, may, maybe I'm just lucky. I don't know. Yeah. And I think what one thing for me and I haven't been uh, involved as involved in animal activism the last few years, um, obviously doing things like this show, doing sort of animal rights media work, but not so much on the street, at least not not regularly anyway. Um, But one thing that I've been involved in is sort of like scholar activist type stuff. So I'm involved in the Institute for Critical Animal Studies and we do conferences which involve academics, but also activists and trying to bridge that divide, I guess, trying to make that less of a dichotomy that people can be both and activists can learn from academics and academic work can be informed by activism and all that kind of stuff. And certainly the last conference that we organized, uh, Liberated Futures, the, the conferences are quite a bit of work in themselves. So it's not so much activism. I think we can apply this to activism is it was kind of getting a bit overwhelming at, at one point. And so what, what I did actually is is write my tasks on a big bit of paper and sort of had that. And so rather than in my diary, I had an endless amount of things in my diary, but just had that in a bit of paper and then I could just sort of have that. And then uh, I just like one hour a day, I did conference organizing and I had that bit of paper out and I was crossing things off the list that I was doing. And then once I was finished with that hour, I put that piece of paper away so I could no longer see it. And I, I went about my day and did other things. And I think for those who are doing maybe more like online type activism could kind of take that approach of yeah whatever kind of activism you're doing whether you're creating posters or doing outreach online or whatever like do it for one hour whatever amount of time and then yeah turn off the social media or or take away so it's out of your view if you have this to do list that kind of thing and so i think like sort of sectioning off time can be quite good but particularly as we've mentioned with social media it can be something can just go on and on and on it can be difficult to turn off so i think i I found that quite useful anyway segmenting the time for activism or or conference work whatever it may be as well yeah one of the things that um, really changed for me is um in the early days i was um i was very critical of some some of the groups used to do a lot of social events I was very critical of it. And people would say to me, you know, do you want to come to the cinema or do you want to go to a, a party? And I would say, yeah, I'll do that afterwards, you know, after, mm. after there's no rape, there's no rights violations and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then I realized that, you know, we are, we are human animals after all, and we need a social life. And so if you can build that into a group situation, that's very um, affirming, you know, because it brings a group solidarity and People kind of get to know each other on a different level as just being, you know, another person with, with a banner, as it were. And so that's very useful. So that's a good way of avoiding burnout, I think. And it's something that I've personally changed my mind about. Yeah, definitely. I think also there's that there's that sort of stereotype of activist as this one dimensional kind of person who doesn't have any other interests and doesn't like music and doesn't like sport. And as you say, like that kind of stereotype of like, I don't care about anything else. I'm just focused on my issue. And I think, you know, I think that isn't the case. It's like a stereotype for most activists. Most activists aren't like that. Uh, But the extent that people would be like that, I think we also, in a way, cut ourselves off from society as well. And I think the more that we, you know, pursue our other interests whether they are sport or or music or whatever like going to the movies whatever it may be these other interests is a matter of like things that we connect with other people on who might not be into that movement and then also hopefully within those movements those informal conversations might uh, raise awareness of issues around animal rights or feminism or whatever other issue as well so i think it's like it's not good for us as activists but i think even from a more strategic point of view i think pursuing those interests can be useful as well rather than cutting ourselves off from anything that isn't explicitly activisty and political i guess mm. i i can understand those activists i was one myself who would go well you know if i spend three hours watching a movie the slaughterhouses are still operate operating and it's a question of coming to terms with the fact that okay we, well you know that but there's no point in beating yourself up about it really mm. and um in in that sense you're just debilitating yourself and so you you've got to almost just come to your senses and say, okay, we know we know that the rights violations are ongoing. 
it's you know 20 you know 24 7 we we know that but you know you it's you know you've got to sleep and you you've got you've got to eat and you you've got to do other things and it's just a question then of of coming to a balanced kind of situation about it i suppose yeah, that's right. And we did have an activist, a friend of mine, Mark Allen, on the show a few times, actually, and he talks about acceptance, which I think can be um, like misinterpreted to say that, like, I accept the animal exploitation, but it's more like accepting, like accepting that that is the reality and, and trying to change it, of course, and doing what we can to change it, but also sort of come in terms like, yes, that is the reality, but yes, I'm going to do what I can to change it, but also not constantly like, yeah, like doing what you can, but also, I guess, when you're not directly sort of advocating that issue just sort of going well i'm doing what i can and not like constantly having that running through your head or whatever whether whether it is animal exploitation or climate change or whatever other issue i think it's good to like even with climate change it's like i try and like go to a rally and then come home and watch something that isn't related to climate change or you know do a podcast episode on climate change and then you know watch a movie about something else or whatever so like doing what you can uh but when when you're not doing that thing of also not constantly having that sort of running through your head i think is a positive thing for mental health etc yeah mental health is, is important i i used to be pretty good at um at football i was playing football into my 60s and covid had stopped stopped me really but mm. um we used to play five aside and at one point we had like a vegan team and that and that was great because you were able to again still be with vegans but doing something else and again it was very bonding you know in that sense so um that that's what i'd be looking for i suppose yeah Yep, great. Uh, we're just about out of time. Uh, before we wrap up, do you want to give any plugs? And we can put these in the notes for the show as well. Um, but yeah, do you want to give a shout out for your YouTube channel and Animal Rights Show and blog and anything else you'd like for listeners to hear more from you or read more from you, et cetera? Yeah, well, all, all that's what you just said. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I suppose my, my website is called um, On Human... Uh, I think it's changed actually now for now. I think it's called uh, On Human Relations with Other Sentient Beings uh, now, and that's that's a Weebly site. Um, I don't actually, I can't really reel, up, reel off the address, but I mean, the best thing to do is probably Google me, I, w- I would think, or um, if people want to send me a message on, on Facebook, I'll certainly respond with all the links, but I'm not very good at actually just reeling them off to be honest. So. As we'll, put, we'll put them in the notes of this episode and I'll also if you listen to this live I'll have them up on social media on our page as well so yeah you can like us on Facebook by searching for Freedom of Species follow us on Twitter at FOS Radio um, you can also listen to all of our shows via 3cr.org.au forward slash Freedom of Species we're on iTunes Spotify a bunch of other apps as well to check us out there um, I wanted to also uh, well first of all just mention that we where um, next up is Encyclopedia, covering all issues, drugs and, and drug policy, etc. So stay tuned for that and check out all their shows at 3cr.org.au. I also want to give a quick shout out to uh, Tuesday Morning Breakfast as well. They recently had a really interesting discussion, uh, classroom to newsroom panel, racial gatekeeping in Australian media. That was their 29th of September 2020 show. Um, and Osman Faruqi, who's an, a journalist within Australia, made the point that uh, media outlets often strive for new- neutrality or objectivity and that this is often associated with whiteness. So white journalists are objective and people of colour are kind of invested in in the story or have a perspective like have a subjective experience i thought that was a really interesting point and i'm actually using that in my classes this week as well my sociology classes so um yeah really interesting discussion check that out as well and all the shows on 3cr so uh we're going to go out with a song uh this is the teaching of cube uh this is by soul and dj pain one and this is just really about caring what's going on about the world in general soul is vegan but it's not so much specific to animals but more just sort of caring about what what is going on in the world in general so i thought that was a good one to finish up with so yeah we'll be back next week and thanks roger for joining us once again yeah thank you nick you take care and just a quick note to listeners that this song does contain some swearing. And when it's done, all I got is my words and these bricks I could build a city with or destroy the city with or fill my body with them, throw me with Osama, Helen Keller, Jimmy Hoffa, when Christ got to Gaza, all these soldiers, walls, troops, mass graves where they put the truth, serum set them on fire at once if they really want freedom, hope the cops scare them, better hope these bullets cure them, hope the prisons hold them, and if that don't work, hope the chair. 
teacher. Ain't no running data, moves at light speed. The gas pipeline is kinda like the internet pipeline, is kinda like the DC to industry pipeline. These are days of pipe dreams. I got mine, you got yours, you got laws you can choose to enforce or ignore. But someday we won't give a fuck no more and set the whole world on fire. Cause there ain't no quiet like before an uprising. Ask me why I give a fuck. 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 And I'll ask you why you don't. 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 Ask me why. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.